Amen. Go ahead, have a seat. Ushers are going to come forward. Let's give out how God has given to us. Uh, it's all from him. It's all for him. Uh, and it's all going back to him one way or the other. So um, if you're here for the first, second, or third time, you got a connection card as you walked in today. If you could fill that out and then in, at the end of the service, walk it outside uh, into that circle room with weird stuff on the wall. Uh, drop it off at our info table. That's going to be the really nice people on your left. We've got a gift for you. Oh, just our simple way of saying thank you so much for joining us today here at Mountain View Sunnyside. We're going to be in Romans 12.9. If you've got your Bibles, if those three words mean nothing to you because you've got no clue about the Bible, awesome. We're going to explain some stuff uh, about how God wants us to live, us who are God followers, uh, and it deals greatly with something that happened yesterday, 50 years ago. All right, July 20th, 1969, USA put a person on the moon, which, and then what might be, I think, more amazing is they brought them back alive. Uh, all three of them who left came back. And so for us, July 20th, 1969, is either a day where we conquered space and so many difficulties with pencil and math. Or it could be a day where we faked everything, all right? It could have been a human sent to the moon, brought back. We've got pictures. We've got rocks. We've got all that stuff. We've got one small step for mankind, one giant leap for blah, 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 all that. Or did we send them to Nevada with a film crew and got Nevada rocks? Are they moon rocks? Are they Nevada rocks? Was it real or was it pretend? And I love the conspiracy type dialogue and all this stuff. And do they want you to know? Should you not know? Whatever, all this, blah, blah, blah. Because for all of us, to be totally honest, it is so easy to pretend our way through life than to actually do what's difficult. Right? It'd be so much easier to just drive to the middle of nothing in Nevada, which is basically the whole state. Like, it's my least favorite in, in that because I've had to driven to Utah many, many times in my life. So, like, driving through like Nevada is just bad. So did we do that, or did we actually send a human to the moon and bring them back with less computer power than you already have in your phone? Which one of those was it? Because for all of us, and for NASA way back 50 years ago, it's easier in life to pretend than it is to actually do the real thing. Today we're talking about loving family when it's difficult because family members also follow under that umbrella. There's space exploration and there's also dealing with family that it's so much easier to just pretend. It's so much easier to just pretend that every relationship is good, so much easier to just pretend that you haven't hated your sibling for forever and a day than it is to actually have a good, positive relationship with them. And so today we're looking at this. What does this look like in our family relationships and our family dynamics? Because for everyone, pretending to love, pretend to love is pretending that problems are solved through avoidance. Pretend love is pretending that our problems are actually going to be solved through avoidance. Once upon a time, the church, us as Christians, or if you're here just checking it out, what you see around you used to be the least pretend group in the world. We all agreed on one thing for us as Christians. We were sinners and Jesus saved us. That was basically all that Christians had in common at that point was we agreed that we were sinners and Jesus had done something amazing for us to bring us into relationship with him. And so they wrote about this, and there's a guy named Paul uh, who solved a lot of problems in the church, and he thought through a lot of things better than I will. So if you're here with a lot of questions, Paul is your guy. He writes this about pretend love in Romans 12.9. We're going to read a little bit and then just kind of bounce back and forth between the Bible and here and all that stuff for the rest of the day. So he says this in Romans 12.9. He says, don't pretend to love others. So, you know, it's like he's writing in 2019. He knows exactly what's going on. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them, hate what is wrong, and hold tightly to what is good. 
Like pretend love is pretending that our problems will solve themselves because it exposes, and actually really loving people, sorry, real love exposes our need for God's power and once upon a time, God did something about that. Real love exposes our need for God's power because it's like an x-ray into all of our souls, right? X-rays show what's broken. They don't fix anything. So what God does is he sees what's broken in our lives, and and we experience this through difficulty, through living as a human among other humans, and then what God does is he comes in and he fixes what's broken because our need for him has been exposed. And family does that so well. Family does that for us better than anything else. I think God experienced this when he was on earth and the person of Jesus, so that's God with skin on, he experienced this himself. One day he's walking around, he's doing Jesus-type things, he's at a party, he's healing people, he's restoring people back into community and back into family and saying God actually loves you so much more than you expect and his mom and his brothers show up and you're like oh we need to get Jesus out of here because we think he's gone crazy and so Jesus's family shows up to make life really really difficult for him so fast forward that moment from where Jesus's family is like you're crazy and we we fast forward past Jesus's life he dies for our sins he's risen again from the dead to show that God has control over everything and Jesus's mothers and brothers are saying this guy who we used to say is crazy is now alive and he's God with skin on so if you look at your own family dynamics and you're like man somebody would probably have to rise from the dead to make stuff right again in our life you're in the exact same place that Jesus was so it's a great place to be here today God moves into our brokenness moves into even family difficulty and says, I rose from the dead. I can restore everything. And it also gives us a picture of what real love looks like. For us as Christians, there's no better definition, no better picture of real love than Jesus. Because when we talk about family dynamics, we see our heavenly father, God, and us as his rebellious, sinful children who ran from him. And so when we made things difficult for God, what did God do for us? is he put on skin to become Jesus and he lived among us. He lived the life that we should have lived so that he could pay the penalty for the things that we have done and we could reap the benefits of his perfect relationship with God the Father. He took it upon himself to step into what we had made difficult to create a relationship between us and God that we could never do. So if you look at your family right now, you look at your relationships and you're like, yep, I'd take a miracle. Jesus says, done, next. All right, so we're gonna look at seven things to prove that the way that we're living, the way that we're treating people is real love and not just pretend love. Uh, And we're gonna do that through the rest of the chapter. So verses nine, 10, and 11 show us a baseline and then verses 12 and following give us skin and give us a picture of what that looks like. So uh, we already talked about don't just pretend to love each other. In verse 10, he says, so love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Great. How do we do that? Seven ways. First thing is that we live in a way that proves that we have humility. We live in a way that proves we have humility. As soon as you say, you know what, I'm really humble, you're a liar and you're not. So we're going to avoid saying it. We're going to let our lives instead say it. Verse 12, he says, rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. That's three things. What's prayer? Prayer is us talking to God. It's our conversational part of our love relationship with God where we're putting ourselves in God's hands to say, okay, God, I can't live my life. I can't really love people the way that you would, so I want you to love people through me. And how that proves humility is because it's expressing that we can't do this. It talks also about Verse 12, it says, rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble. 
Man, we need to be patient with other people because two reasons. One, God has been patient with us. And two, you and me, all of us together, are somebody else's reason for patience. We are somebody else's reason for prayer. We are somebody else's reason for them completely flying off the handle and going crazy because of, whoa, well, I'm just trying to be normal and they're all mad at me. We are somebody else for them. As we have people in our lives where their names show up on our phone or they come to family dinner or whatever, we're like, yeah, we're that for somebody else. I saw this in uh, my life this week in a funny situation. Uh, there's a stop sign by my house that I hate because I always have to slow down for it. You can't, like, it's never going to turn green and I can just blast through it. I always have to leave my neighborhood, drive for about a second, and then start slowing down. Uh, so I'm coming up on that, uh, and, and I stop, and there's a car over here who's going to turn left in front of me, uh, and I can't go until they go. And they start to go, and then both of us realize there's a car coming at us, probably about, I don't know, 45, 50 miles an hour, that looks like it has zero plans of slowing down for the stop sign. It says stop, but for them, it's a go sign. And so the person over here starts honking their horn, I start honking my horn, and the car just blasts right through the stop sign. The person over here is, I'm not really good at, at lip reading, but I think she said something about a truck. It really confused me, because clearly it was a sedan that was coming at us, and I just laugh. The reason I laugh is two, nobody got T-boned and killed. But one, 14 years ago when I moved to the area, I blew right through the stop sign. I remember where I was. It was one of those moments where you're driving through an intersection and about 90% of the way you realize that's a stop sign behind me that I just went through really fast and you slam on your brakes as you're already on the other side and it's totally useless. So I'm just like, all right, somebody else joined the kin club. Welcome to being me. Uh, and I laugh and the other person's still losing their mind and the person who blew the stop sign is now like a mile behind us and I just keep driving. Man, for us to live proof of humility means that we see our lives at something that is not so important, not so fragile, that normal people around us can't bump us every once in a while. That normal people around us can't make things difficult every once in a while. Because what are we doing? We're loving. We're living in a way that lifts others above ourselves. And for every person we do that for, for every person where we say, you know what, you're just going to blow through the stop sign and I'm just going to sit here and hope that nobody gets destroyed in this intersection, for every other driver that's coming at us, we are that driver for somebody else. We are somebody else's need for prayer. We are somebody else's reason for patience where we're crying out to Jesus, help me be patient with, insert our name here. So the first way to prove that it's real love is, is proof of humility. Second is proof of compassion. Verse 13, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Awesome, we can do this. Because from a very beginning, from a young age, we are born selfish and then we gradually grow unselfish as all of us yield to this wiring that's inside of us. Whether you're an atheist, whether you're a Christian, whether you're whatever or a toddler, you know that sometimes you help people when they're in need. You help people. So great, we nailed it. But the verse doesn't stop there. When God's people are, help them when God's people are in need. Always be eager to practice now he, goes for the, now he goes for the throat. Practice hospitality. What does that mean? That means you let people into your house. That means they're probably not going to take their shoes off when they walk in. Or if you're a shoes-on family, they're going to take their shoes off and they're going to leave them right by your door. They're going to come into your fridge. They're going to open your fridge. They're going to rearrange things in your fridge. They're going to let the dog in if the dog's not supposed to be out. Or they're going to push the dog out if the dog is really supposed to be in. And all these things, they're going to do them. And that's what happens with hospitality. We worship a God who welcomes us into relationship with him. And so for us as Christians, he's saying, all right, I want you to do the same thing. You've got your house. It's got a door that's going to open, and people can walk in, and they can be around you. And this is the proof of real love because it's proof of compassion, even to the point where it hurts. All right, back in October, uh, Pastor Tim and Robin 
his wife, who did missions moment up here, uh, they bought a new house. And uh, part of the reason that we work together, the four of us, uh, really well is that we're also friends like outside of church and outside of work. So we looked at the math and when their new house was going to be available and, and when they had to leave their old house and realized there's a two-week window between these two dates. So your Honda Pilot is not that big for all six of you. Uh, so how about you come and live with us for two weeks? And it had been really great uh, if it was Tim and Robin. But it wasn't Tim and Robin. It was Tim and Robin and Caitlin, and Haley, and Rylan, and Cooper, and Anna, and Eden, and Ellie, and Micah, and Katali the dog. There were 11 of us living in one house. We had kids sleeping in closets because being Christians who value compassion doesn't just say, okay, uh, 14 days is really going to be rough. We said, okay, that, that means you can come in and you can live with us. And seriously, with that many women in one house, there were shoes everywhere, sweet Googles, like you couldn't walk anywhere without tripping on somebody's shoes, uh, but that's sometimes what compassion does. And if you hear that story and you're like, I want to die, I mean, there's somebody else who we're close to, and they're like, that's what makes you guys different, because everybody else would think, this is horrible, and run away, and you actually love people, and so that's, that's what you do, is of course you're going to open your house to them. If you hear that, and you look at the idea of six people coming to live with you, and you're like, check please, I'm out of here. That's where we see God move in our life. That's where we invite Jesus in to give us power to push past our limits, to love people the way that God would. And that's what God says. He says, let me push you past your ability. One of the things, one of the verses that I love, because it identifies with us so much, is about the Holy Spirit. It says that when the Holy Spirit comes in you, you're going to have new power and new desires to follow God. He's saying, even if that peace doesn't even exist, that app doesn't even exist in your brain. I'm going to help you follow me where you, right now you're like, no way. I'm going to help you do that. 14 is proof of forgiveness. It says, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them, and pray, but pray that God will bless them. A little background on Paul. Paul is the guy who wrote this. Paul was somebody who persecuted Christians. He grew up thinking he knew everything about God and he saw what Christians were doing. He said, you guys are absolutely wrong. But he said it to the point where he was using his life. He was going on missions to other places to kill and enslave Christians. Men, women, children, doesn't matter to him. If you say you're a Christian, you're either going to jail or you're going to the lions and you're going to die. And so one day Paul is on a mission to a city in Damascus. Uh, and Jesus shows up. He shows up in the form of a super bright light that blinds him, and he goes, on a mission, goes from being on a mission to kill people to being led helplessly into the city that he doesn't know. And there's a man named Ananias who's there. And Ananias is somebody that God knew and somebody that had already decided to follow Jesus. And God tells him, I want you to go find Paul, and I want you to pray for him so he can see again. I think this is one of those moments of vulnerability that totally changes the shape and the trajectory of Paul's life because you've got Ananias, this Jesus follower like us, who, who's trying to do the right thing. And all of a sudden, his enemy is led blind into his house. Like if there's ever a moment for a just kill, this is it because he's there to kill Christians. And what does Ananias do where he could have killed Paul? He puts his hands on him and he says, Brother Paul, receive your sight. And boom, instantly he can see. Two things there. He could have killed him. He could have called him his enemy. He could have left him, just kind of put him out in the desert and let the animals take care of it. But he calls him brother. There's immediate welcoming in, immediate forgiveness. And then he prays for him and asks God to do a miracle in his physical body and restore his sight. So Paul can write about stuff like this years later as a former persecutor who, instead of meeting death, met the love of Jesus' followers. 
met the love of people who had given everything over to follow Jesus. He's writing this to someone whose life was spared because there was somebody else in his life who followed Jesus scandalously to the point where he's showing acceptance and welcoming to somebody who is there to kill him and his people. It's proof of forgiveness. We like to say about forgiveness that that harboring unforgiveness towards other people is us drinking poison just hoping that they die. And for us as Christians, forgiveness is huge because that's the only way that we have a relationship with Jesus is because of forgiveness. We did nothing to earn our spot with God, but instead Jesus put on human form, lived the life that we should have lived so that God could forgive us. And he did that so that we could have a relationship with God, but also so that we could have a horizontal relationship with other people. So that we can have a clean relationship with God and also restore relationships with people. If you look at this one and you're like, that's the proof that I can't do, I can't live my life as proof of forgiveness, then we want God to move into our lives and give us that ability. Remember, new desires, new power to carry out those new desires, one of those being forgiveness. We've got some light blue bookmarks up here that when we respond today, that's one of the areas to respond is where in our lives do we need to extend forgiveness that we aren't now? And uh, it's not a magic potion that if you pray this, boom, your heart's going to be great again, but it's going to push us to think about forgiveness, for, think about offense in different ways, uh, and kind of shakes himself loose in our heart and our head that we can then bring up to Jesus and allow him to work in. So the next thing, verse 15, uh, it says this. It says, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. That right there is proof of security in Jesus, and it's totally relevant in our digital age because you look on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever your profile of choice is, and you see the best 1% of everybody else's life. All right, Micah learned how to ride a two-wheeler yesterday. He passed the Cold Stone test where if you can ride from here to here with no adult supervision, uh, we get to go to Cold Stone. It's what our kids, all of them have done. And we didn't post a video because we also didn't post the two years of me working with him and running like an idiot crouched down behind him as he has no clue what's going on and no clue how mad he's making me. We didn't post that either. It'd be totally unfair to say, look, our kid just magically rides a bike because we're not posting the seriously two years of working with this kid who really didn't care until yesterday, it feels like. In our digital world, our security needs to be rooted in who we are in Jesus. Because if we're always trying to win by comparing ourselves to other people, we will never win. No one wins in comparison. But instead, if we look at the good things in other people's life, we're like, man, good for them. We celebrate and we're happy with those who are happy. We look at people who are going through hard times and it's not, well, Just climbed another rung on the ladder because their life is terrible. Instead, we say, okay, how can I bring light into that situation? We weep with those who weep, and we're happy with those who are happy in a world where it is so easy to weep when other people are happy in Hawaii and rejoice when their life makes them look look worse than us. That comes from security in Jesus. That comes from knowing that we are more loved and more accepted than we will ever know in the midst of being more sinful and more uh, horrible to God than we would ever know. Next thing is verse 17. It says, Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone will see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. And for all of us, people are going to be difficult. 
If you want to get to the point in your life where nobody is ever difficult than you, you're never going to reach it because everybody with a pulse somehow is going to be difficult for you. Our choice, our ability, our desire for us who follow Jesus is that we're going to manage our part. There's a great line in Lord of the Rings. There's two characters uh, who I have to remember their names so that it's, uh, so it's accurate. Uh, it's a guy named Boromir and a guy named Frodo, and stuff didn't go well with them. And so one of the characters asks Frodo, he says, are you friends with Boromir? Are you, are you good with Boromir? Insert whatever name a person or family member that is in your life where, where you're just like that with. And Frodo says something that, that shakes me and really gives me uh, a true north for relationships in life. He says, yeah, we're friends for my part. I'm doing everything I can on my part to keep this good. I'm doing everything in my power to make this a positive relationship. So you look at your family members who are driving you crazy. You look at your colleagues. You look at the people uh, maybe who are in this room or who live down the street from you. What is your part in that conflict? How much of that conflict is existing because you're playing a part in it? And the, 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 the power of the Holy Spirit, the way that God wants us to live, is that we can look at every single relationship in our lives and say, yes, we are friends, we are living at peace, we are living a positive relationship for my part. It's one of those things that we'll never get away from, but we're constantly throwing ourselves on the power of God to, be, to ask him to remake us, to fill us, to make us more like him, so that even in the most difficult relationships, we can say, yes, I'm living as a Jesus follower for my part. We're controlling our side of the relationship. In verse 19, he says, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their head. Man, for us to live this way, it's proof that we live dead with Jesus. This type of life is, is calling us, is requiring us to give up so much of what just feels normal for us as people to live the way, that Jesus, the way that Jesus lived, the way that Jesus has for us to live, the way that he empowers us to live. At one point when he was on earth, he said, for you to actually find your life, that means you have to give it all away. And if you try to hold on to everything, you're going to lose everything. And so one of the things that we love to do as a church uh, is live this out when it comes to our finances, when it comes to empowering ministry in other places of the world uh, that most of us will never, ever go to. And so there's a country in Central Asia that'll pop up behind me on the screen um, where we've gotten to see that. There's a few churches in the city uh, that we've been able to plant uh, through one of our assets. And what's happened over the last week has been the church from the city is starting to go into the more rural parts. And by rural, I mean mountainous, and there is nothing there. Uh, so Pastor Greg was there a few years ago, and seriously, looking at the pictures, there is nothing there except for people who have never heard about Jesus. So Wednesday, we get uh, an email about a guy whose face is going to pop up behind me. Uh, his name is Axel. Sometimes when we start these conversations, it's really bad news. Uh, this is great news because Axel uh, became the first Christian in the mountain region. That means that God is starting to take over. God is starting to take over lives and churches are starting to be built and it's happening because of one person. This is the first guy. So who knows where it's going to go from here? Who knows what's going to happen? The crazy part about this is he's living in a place where it's hostile to be a Jesus follower, where he puts himself in danger now that he's come out publicly and said, I'm a Jesus follower, where his life could be taken at a moment's notice because now he identifies as a Christian because people know that he's a Christian. 
So for us as a church, our job is to pray for him. Our job is to fund ministry into places uh, that are dark, and we want to see God's light coming forth, like in this mountainous region where he is seriously the only Christian. and, and we also pray. So we're going to pray for that right now. And Jesus, we thank you for Axel. We thank you for the way that you rescued him uh, from a life away from you. And now you're going to build in him a legacy of believers. We pray for every Christian in that mountain region uh, who's going to become a Christian because of the church that you're going to start uh, in that place. And we pray that there's going to be uh, thousands more Axels whose lives are going to be given to you. Uh, and you're going to, you're going to work uh, a total healing process uh, in that mountain region, God. We thank you for being a global God, and we can rejoice in things like this uh, because you have saved us, and just as you've saved Axel and you're working through that village, you're going to do more than we could ever ask or imagine. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. We get to celebrate a church that be, that's being grown in a place where hostility and where persecution is is unfortunately a reality, where they're putting their lives on the line every day to say, okay, we're trusting God to work this through in a way that's going to bring him glory. We're going to let God be the just judge at the very end. We're not going to fight back. We're going to let God do all that. And that means that requires us to live dead with Jesus. And then verse 21, it says this, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. This is proof that God's goodness has conquered evil when we're able to do good in situations that are evil. This proof that God's goodness has conquered evil. This is the way that that situation changes when Jesus' followers, empowered by the Holy Spirit, start to live the way that God would have us to live and not the way that we, our natural inclination is to live and to keep people away. But instead, to open up the arms of Jesus who were open for us when we were so far from him, to live as an example and as a representation of what God does with the life. That while we were far away from him, he didn't continue to let us wander, but instead, God put on skin. God came into the world as Jesus to save sinners, which means us. That we were separated from God because of our sin, and God made us family by God's actions. And as Christians, we respond to that. We say, That's me. I was far from God, and God made me family because of what he did. And so there's some questions I want to leave us with today uh, to to let it play through our heart and let let it play through our head and identify ways in our life uh, that we need to respond to to God's word today. And the first one of those is, who do you need to trust? Trusting people who have let us down in the past, what it does is it brings life back into the relationship. Because somebody messes up with you, somebody lets you down so many times, and and one of the popular phrases in our culture is, you're dead to me. Trust in other people, again, who have let us down, brings life into the people that we said before, you're dead to me. It brings life back in. It reinvigorates relationships, it restarts relationships, it resurrects relationships, because we're allowing ourselves to trust people, again, who before we have cut off, we have written off, that relationship is dead. Trust brings it back to life. Next thing is, who do you need to forgive? Forgiveness restores relationships. And we say this openly and honestly in a culture where a million things have gone wrong. It is okay to trust people. It is okay to forgive people. And it is also okay to call the cops on them all at the same time if they are doing things to you that are harmful. This is not a sentence back into an abusive relationship. This is us saying, okay, God, you tell me that the more unforgiveness I have in my heart, the more toxic my heart is gonna be. And so we can forgive as God has forgiven us, but there's also penalty uh, for sin. And that means that if sometimes if it's a dangerous relationship, we can involve the authorities. So in the meantime, who do we need to forgive? 
Who in your life do you think of? Their name pops up in their phone. They, they walk into Thanksgiving dinner with their family, and your blood just begins to boil. Who are, whose life are you drinking poison for, just hoping that they're the ones who pay the penalty for it? God forgave us before we had ever done anything to him, anything good to him, and he forgave us for more against him that we've done than anyone has ever done to us. And so our call, our challenge is to live out the love and the forgiveness of God's family by extending that to people who are around us. And the last thing is, who do you need to speak well of? Who do you need to speak well of? Like, you know, you try to be a good person, and what you turn into a lot of time is just a master of indirect assassination. You know, you, you've got those people in your life that you can't stand, and so you say things, and your face is a certain way, and your tone is a certain way when you talk to them. You know, it's even just like, well, that's just Greg being Greg, and we know Pastor Greg. No, that's, that's code for I really don't like that person. So who do we need to speak well of again? Who do you need to rekindle your heart your heart's ability to actually speak well of people again. Because when we do that, it trains our heart, it trains our minds to begin to offer forgiveness, to begin to trust them again. And just as we have let down God so many times, God forgives us. God restores our relationship. God looks at us and speaks well of us because he looks at you today, he looks at me today, instead of saying sinner, enemy, fraud, he says son, he says daughter. He speaks well of us so that we can receive that, we can grow in that relationship and then do that for the people around us who have made our lives difficult just as we have sinned against God. We get to be a representation of the forgiveness of Jesus. We get to be the the people who do the work of Jesus and love people the way that Jesus loves us because that's what changes things. That's what conquers evil for good and that's where God wants to empower us for this. When you look at this seven things and these three questions, you're like, nope, I'm out, excellent. Because that's where God can move in. That's where God can strengthen us in our moment of saying, I can't do it. Because as soon as you say, I can do it, we know I've no longer have a need for God. But living in brokenness, living and saying, okay, I'm going to lose temporarily. I'm going to put myself back uh, in, in relationship and back in submission to people who are going to hurt me. And what's going to happen? What's going to happen is God is going to work through us as we obey him. God is going to work through us as we say, okay, God, everything I have is yours. Use my life for something. I'm going to live dead so I can see the great things that you want to do through me in my life, in my family, and around what I see. Let's stand and pray.